As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to More To It, the show that takes a deep dive into the biggest stories in sports, entertainment, and culture. Start with headline news, and then we journey into those deeper conversations, always finding those life lessons that are presented in every single story. I'm your host, Marcel Swally. That dude, y'all can call me Panky. No, <laughs> I ain't going that far, but y'all know me. I don't use the word, but seems like people at Barstool Sports use the word. We'll talk about that later, but I'm feeling good in my Panky. Yo. <laughs> I think I look crispy today. I can't lie. I, I, I might could go out there in them streets and um, make my wife a little jealous today. Looking this crispy, but I'm um, feeling great, man. Love is in the air because my wife is in the air. She's on her way back finally from her trip to Europe. So look forward to her coming back because, boy, a brother needs some help, man. But, you know, we start off every show with what's up with that dude. And that ain't what's up with me. That's what's up with her. She coming back to the family. Leave me here all empty-handed. Got to take care of the whole damn team. But you know me. I'm a damn good coach. I got this thing under control. Uh, But yesterday after the show, I went to my social club and I was writing it down. I was like, let me tell them. No, don't tell them where it is because one, I don't want everybody trying to join my damn social club because it is a private space where I actually get to just breathe and just be regular and nothing, no distractions, no BS, no thoughts, no, no craziness, no gangsters. Like, it's just cool to be up in there, right? So I don't want all y'all flooding it. But more importantly, um, I shouldn't just blow up their spot. It's not on me. Uh, but I was walking in. I was just going to have lunch by myself for an hour before I picked up the kids and do some work, obviously. So I was going to the bathroom. On the way to the bathroom, got intercepted. So in that moment, you're like, damn, I'm at a social club that's supposed to be private. And here we go, networking up in here, which I do enjoy. But at the same time, there's a time and place for everything. Well, this was a good time, actually, because I had nothing really on the calendar. Two dudes who went to Morehouse, I find out, were just sitting there breaking bread. Hey, I seen you here a couple times, want to introduce myself. I was like, oh, what's up? Let me go to the bathroom right now. When I come back, we're going to chop it up, right? They bought me lunch. We talked. Man, we had so much in common in terms of experiences. Um, two well-decorated, well-off dudes. Um, One of them lived in the actual hotel itself right there, which was crazy, but it was just good to talk to them and 
them being from D.C., Detroit, and me from L.A. having similar paths, even though we did them, obviously, in different locales. So that was cool. Broke bread with those guys. Had a great time. One of the dudes actually made a ton of money. Guess what he did? He invested in some defense contracts. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, my God. He in a whole different stratosphere. Calls himself the luckiest man alive. I agree. Now, after that, took my daughter to gymnastics. Actually, both of my little girls, because my three-year-old now is old enough to at least follow the rules, but she had to leave early because she pottied on herself. So that's why they got a certain age minimum, because she went in there and just leaking all in the gymnastics pit, and all them girls just flipping in her wet pee-pee foam. It was just stupid. So I'm laughing. But um, walking out, a car pulls up on me. Like in Boys in the Hood, red Hyundai style, but it was a white Tesla, so I didn't feel that damn scared. But it was a white Tesla, rolls up to me, smoked out tinted windows right here. I'm holding my itty bitties walking to the alley. Next thing I know, I'm like, dog, nah, for real. Window goes down, and it's two dudes in there, and then the back window goes down, it's a little girl from the gymnastics class, and she's like, hi, and her and my kids just losing each other. Turns out it was Mookie Betts. I was like, oh, it's the first time I ever got a chance to meet Mookie Betts. It was Mookie Betts and Howard, who I assume is his road dog, and their little daughters in our class as well. So that was pretty cool to just break bread with him. We got a lot of connections, and we finally said, all right, we're going to link up. It's actually a neighbor of mine, too. Didn't even know that. And after that, man, you know, came back to the crib. Um, It was really my last night of freedom because the wife, like I said, is coming in. For that last mile of that marathon, she's going to try and come and act like she's been running this whole damn thing and then break the finish line with me. But let's talk about somebody who uh, may not cross that finish line. Oh, this smile is so good because those Los Angeles Lakers lost yesterday. No, 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 they ain't lose. They got blown. What did Emmitt Smith say? Blew out? Blown out? Blood out? They got beat down in game two by the Golden State Warriors. 27-point win for those Warriors. So, y'all know me. I am Mr. Authentic, they say, right? Oh, Marcellus, keep it real. Except when I talk about my Lakers or my Clippers, right? And I said my Lakers because they represent my town. But those fakers, I love it when I get a moment to troll them because guess what? I will laugh at my pain, but something makes me feel even better than that. Laughing at their pain and laughing at your pain, you faker fans. So we saw the adjustment that happened. You saw Golden State go to that small lineup. Woo! Kevin Looney, all right, big dog, chill out for a second. Let's just see what Jermichael Green could do. And boy, Jam went out there and had a jam session. He balled out more points than Anthony Davis. So we saw the Warriors getting into transition more, and they were pushing the pace. Lakers look a little tired. They gave up 40-point quarters in the second and third quarter. And they haven't done that, what, the entire season? Certainly the playoffs, and all of a sudden, they gave it up back-to-back 40-point quarters. So we saw more spacing on the floor, the three-point shooting, the ball movement, Golden State playing Golden State basketball. Now, they had to come out with that sense of desperation, that sense of intensity, because guess what? You go down 0-2 to the Lakers, LeBron has never lost a series where he's been up 2-0 in the playoffs. So that was obviously playing heavy on the minds and hearts of the Golden State Warriors. Draymond played as the big man. We back to that death lineup again most of the night. And he was assigned to Anthony Davis and did a good job on him. Why? Kevin Looney, when Anthony Davis was on him, 8 for 12. Anthony Davis was on Kevin Looney. Against Draymond, 4 of 8. 
All right, a little better, right? In terms of, oh, bring those shot selections down, getting to them on that catch right there in the block. It looked good. Defense was the key, and they limited the free throws, but that three-point ball. Let's talk about this. Gold State, 21 of 42 from three. The Lakers went 10 of 34. That ain't going to get it. The Warriors have made 42 three-pointers. Listen to this fun fact right here. So far this series, 26 more than the Lakers. This is the most over a two-game span in Warriors postseason history and tied for the second most over two-game span in NBA playoff history. Did y'all just hear me? The Golden State Warriors just from the three-point line performed better in these two games than they ever have in their playoff history. Yeah, we talking about the Splash Brothers, y'all. We talking about four championships. We talking about that dynasty and they are now playing at a higher level. So look, all I'm sitting here with is envy and jealousy because I'm mad at the Lakers because I know the Clippers are better than the Lakers. They beat them 11 times in a row, but the Lakers are still in the playoffs. And now they're in the playoffs. We'll see how much longer they're in the playoffs because Golden State is now awake. We'll see what happens in game three in LA that I was invited to go to by my assistant coach, who is one of the owners of the Lakers and my boy Jesse Buss. But we got a school gala to go to. I got to dress up in my disco attire. Well, anything to stay away from those Lakers. And hopefully, I hate to say this, they lose. Thanking you for your viewership on Brinks TV and your membership, Wiley's World on YouTube. Man, sad state of affairs right here. Let's get into this story. Attempted murder in Maryland. As I said before, the suspects, three teenagers, the crime scene was a school bus. All right. Cops in Maryland are looking for three teenagers who jumped on a school bus and confronted a student who they attempted to kill. The incident took place on Monday, according to the police report, which claims that three teens hopped on the bus, which one of them pointing a gun at a 14-year-old before pulling the trigger three times. But the gun was jammed. They pulled the tr trigger three times, according to a witness, but for some reason, by the grace of God, the gun didn't go off and bullets flew out of the gun. Martin Diggs, who is head of the bus drivers union, said, okay, since one of the hooded teens failed to shoot the student, he decided to physically beat him instead and then rushed off the bus with the other two masked boys as they fled the scene. 14 year old who attends Prince George's County Alternative Middle School is believed to have questioned him on whether he knew who could have been responsible for the crime. But so far, law enforcement officers are still piecing together enough evidence to make any arrests. Diggs has since called for more security on the school buses following the attack, saying they're terrified. One driver is so terrified, doesn't want to come back to work, doesn't even want to leave his house. Police are still trying to determine the motive for the attempted killing, and the investigation remains ongoing. So much to unpack right here. Let's just start here. As you guys know, I am a partner in an organization called Argo, and it's an alliance for responsible gun ownership. And our efforts are to change the conversation and hopefully change the outcomes around gun culture, right? Let's just start from the obvious that guns are in America and guns are easily accessible. 
not always easily legally, but certainly with the black market. And as you can see, what 14 year old kids guns are accessible. We have to change that conversation. We have to change that reality, right? We have to meet in the middle because there are two factions that seem very extreme. Therefore, not enough is being done about this issue. One says, get rid of all guns, right? Ban the guns. But then the people who oppose that obviously say, well, then all the bad guys are going to just have the gun because they're not going to follow the law. So you ban guns legally. What about the illegal? What about the black market, right? Okay. Now, let's talk about the other extreme. But those that have, oh man, you, you, you got to just say, not ban guns, but, you know, loose guns and make people responsible, Second Amendment, right? And then the people who fight that and say, look, one, we don't need all of these guns. Two, we don't need these assault weapons. And three, why do you need that access to guns? Because we know the result. Places around the world that have stricter access to guns have fewer mass shootings. Just that simple, right? But there is a conversation in the middle that could bring those two groups together that can mitigate moments like this. Because you're never going to get a, a rid of, never going to erase gun violence to a zero sum. But we can certainly start to control these numbers and bring it back down with responsible conversation about responsible gun ownership. What we're seeing here is just the reckless behavior of adults that is now meeting all these broken kids that are not new because I could give you an example and I will of when I was growing up and had to deal with something horrific just like this. Okay, so I'm 13 years old and I'm on the school bus. And as I'm on this bus, uh, I'm on the way to school, uh, just in my mind, just a little nervousness because everyone always talks about some of the issues that happen on this bus line, right? So I'm like, all right, I'm on the way to school, nothing happened. This time on the way back though, it did go down. All right, so I'm on the bus and I used to like to sit right behind the bus driver. Why? Because he was like the only adult that I knew I could trust, the only adult that was representing the bus company. So I thought he had some authority. I thought if anything ever went down, he can jump in, right? I thought that. So I used to always sit in the front and I guess maybe I got scoped, maybe I got scouted, but one time I'm uh, sitting in the front and then I look around and there are guys surrounding me. So now I'm like, dang, what should I do? And I, you know, you can't trip up, you can't run out, you know, you don't know what these guys are doing. So I'm just sitting there terrified and they just let me go. So then another time you fast forward, I'm, I'm already like, woo, but I still got to take the bus to get to school and get back. Now this one time, for whatever reason, it seemed a little emptier. I was already terrified sitting right by the bus driver who didn't do a damn thing the last time I was there. So I was like, well, let me sit in the back since it's no safer sitting in the front. Ah, that could have been a fatal mistake. I'm sitting there. Another group of guys this time come up. One sits in front of me, one sits on the other side, and one sits right next to me. And then he points out of his coat, and he's pointing at me. He's like, run that hat, little homie. And I was like, oh, God. And so I'm terrified because I want to do everything he says as long as I survive. But then I was like, doing everything he says, what is he going to ask me? Am I still going to survive this moment? No good answers. No great response except, hey, Simon says. And I took the hat off and I handed it to him. He said, don't hand me that shit. He said, throw it out the window. And I'm like, wow. So I throw the hat out the window and I'm sitting there. 
And then they're just sitting there and really just feeling like they're feeling joyful almost. They're just enjoying the fact that I'm terrified. Like they didn't even do anything. I think it was because there were other people on the bus, so they didn't want to cause too much attention. They just liked the fact that they just had them a little hostage right here. And they just sitting there. And then finally, for whatever reason, I just finally broke the silence. I said, can I get off, please? And they were like, yeah, you can get off. And I literally took seven steps to get to the back exit to get off the bus. And it felt like I walked like the green mile, seriously, just terrified. And thinking that I'm gonna get shot in the back on the way out, thinking they're gonna run off the bus after me, something, something, nothing happened. Let me tell you, you guys, from that moment when I was 13 and every single time I ever had to get on public transportation or school bus, I always think of that moment, the PTSD of that moment. Why do I bring that up? Because we read these reports, we watch these videos, you'll see me talk about this, and then how much are we really changing behavior and moving the needle? And that's why I'm a partner in Argo. And that's why we have to get more invested in this conversation and not yelling at the other side, but really trying to respectfully come to an agreement so we can have safer schools, safer streets, safer theaters, safer churches, safer school buses, right? We can't let this situation continue to grow out of control. Because we know that right now with mental health on the rise and the issues that have come from that and then the access 14 year olds having guns and not only having guns ready to pull the trigger that we have to address this in a much more mature way. Looking forward to your support on this because I grew up unfortunately around those type of circumstances, but it's not just where you're from now, no matter where you're at, this is a situation that people have to deal with. Oh, somebody I don't know if I want to be a member of his team right now is Antonio Brown, who they're calling a nightmare owner of the Albany Empire. Oh, Antonio Brown became owner of the National Arena Football League's Albany Empire in March, right? And it said he's already, since March, was that March, April, March, <laughs> already running the organization into the ground, under the ground, right? Six feet deep, they are saying. So, two former members of the team, former members of the team, here we go, head coach Damon Ware, and quarterback Sam Castronova. Damn, that last name, I know what you're going to fall back on. <laughs> that sounds like you connected. Who shared their hellish experience. Where it said the biggest problem was getting everyone paid. Getting paid? Uh, yeah, I think that is the biggest problem in terms of employment if you don't get paid. You're like, dog, I'm putting in this work and not getting paid? He said his conversations with Antonio about this would get so bad, so contested, so heated that A.V. would text him violent threats. Gotta believe him, right? Because once he said he texted me violent threats, I think he got receipts, right? So A.B., all bad so far. Ware said beyond that, that A.B.'s ego got in the way of improving the squad and he was a nightmare to deal with. Quote, we built a wonderful organization over three years and he came in and killed it all. Golly. Mm, mm, mm. Players are supposed to get paid the week after each game, but after two games, they were never paid. The players contemplating sitting out. They about to protest in the NFL. They about to go on strike. Not the league, one team, because their owner is not paying the bills. The same owner that didn't pay his child support 
we had the report about a month ago. Hey, V, come on, dog. Captains decided to confront team officials on their bus ride back. So you imagine that scenario. You own the team and you're one of the teammates, but you're not one of the captains. So you probably don't feel like you got that flex, that power. So you go to your authority, which is your captain, who has to not go to the ultimate authority, the team owner. He has to go to the team officials who still have a boss called A, B, the team owner. Man, which way is up? When they got to the hotel, they discovered their room keys did not work, and the hotel workers told them it was your owner's doing. So they were about to strike, but he locking them out. He literally, literally, y'all, locking them out the hotel room. I ain't never played for a team like this. Oh, they had to fight to get their belongings out of the rooms. They had to get housekeeping to help them. Had you ever been there? I've been there before. You walk out your room, you lock your door. Oh, damn, I left something in there, my kid in there. And you see the housekeeper lady, he's like, excuse me, excuse me. And she's like, yes. And you're like, um, can you let me in my room? And she's looking at you like, bruh, I don't know if that's your room. And you're like, no, no, I can prove it. As soon as you let me in, I go get my wallet, my ID, it's all in there. And she's like, bruh, I don't know if that's your room. And I've been there before. But crazy enough, security, y'all need to watch the housekeepers. They always let you in. I mean, they at least let me in. And I sure, I sure don't look like I should be getting let in everybody room. All right. So after that, several key players said they're fed up with the team and are looking forward to restarting their careers elsewhere. You think uh, the Empire team was back to back champions in the NAL. But this season, they're off to a one and two start under AB's ownership. What the hell is going on with Antonio Brown? I know what y'all say, and I know everyone says, since the hit by Vontez Burfick, it ain't been perfect for Antonio. I mean, I hear that. I'm starting to hear that louder and louder. But what's going on with Antonio, what's interesting is he's just off the rails right now. I don't like to go into the mental health department because that's not my department. I don't have that level of certification. And frankly, I look at mental health like I do physical health, which means are you in mental health shape? Just like in physical health, we could walk around all day saying somebody, oh man, that person's fat, that person's skinny. Oh, he yoked up, she in shape, right? Pretty obvious, right? But you also know when you see somebody in shape, you think the same things. They work out a lot, they probably eat right for sure, or they are on something to help them, right? But you know that they're investing in their physical health and the results are on display. In mental health, the results are on display as well for Antonio, man. What is he doing to invest in his mental health? No, beyond speculation, just the fact that the proof is in the pudding. And right now, it seems like nobody in Albany wants to eat that pudding. Come on, AB, do better, my dog. Yuck. Thanking you for your viewership on Brings TV and your membership to Wiley's World on YouTube. All right, big story here, and it's from my world. You know that sports media world. And it's a lot to unwrap here, so let's just take it line by line and get through this. All right, Dave Portnoy worries. Firing popular host Ben Mintz over the use of the N-word, the word that I don't even use as a black man, may be a death blow for Barstool Sports as parent company Penn Entertainment stock price falls after a high volume of backlash due to the axing. Oh, y'all catching this? That was a crazy headline. Took me both places. Okay. So someone uses the N-word from Barstool Sports. All right. That's already controversial enough. 
especially when you know who Ben Mintz is, because then you realize, oh, yeah, in this culture of hypocrisy with the N-word, we all know uh, only black people are supposed to use the N-word, supposedly, even though we know a lot of Latinos use it and others, so we'll get to all that later. But Mintz, best known as this lovable sports enthusiast with that Southern charm. There's some people that love him and some people who don't, but he's a very skilled poker player and he has made some impressive wins in that world. Uh, he had that show Wake Up Mincy um, on Monday mornings and on Monday we saw him rapping uh, to Bone Thugs and Harmony, right? First of the month. And then the N word came out. You know, and it's funny because when this happens and I told you guys the story when I was at the Jay-Z concert and a little kid walked up, me, a little white kid, 12 years old, wanted the autograph, wanted a picture. All right, we about to do it. Then Tom Ford comes on. Little white dude right there by me. Big black dude. Clap for what? And he let the N word go. Now, I'm looking like, are you serious? And obviously, I'm not going to do anything to the little 12 year old because one, 80,000 other people were screaming it. And as I looked around, let me just say, I was in the minority in that venue. So I was like, that's what the rappers have allowed. That's what the culture is allowed. That's where we are. Okay, let's keep going through this. Because there's the video of this, which obviously, once you got video, ask Ray Rice, everything changes. Not just the fact that you said it, not just the fact that someone overheard it, Oh, we all can consume it. So let's check out the video of Mincy using the N-word. Get some yayo, double up, nigga. What you need, what you need. Get some. Boom. So then he tweets out, this morning I made an unforgivable mistake slipping on air while reading a song lyric. I meant no harm and have never felt worse about anything. I apologize for my actions. I, I am truly sorry and ashamed of myself. Okay, that apology is not accepted by me because <laughs> like some things are just avoidable, right? And it's interesting how everyone has slipped up before, but let's just say your slip ups also suggest your comfort level at times, right? Um, there are certain things that I just would never do in front of my mom, no matter what. There were certain things I would never do in front of my dad, no matter what. And they all have different codes, right? Certain things I would never do at work, right? Certain things I would never do around my grandma. You guys get the point. And there's certain things that even when you're rapping a rap song that you know where the traps are, right? You know where the landmines are in rap. If you're white, if you're not black, whoever, the N-word probably is going to be in it. And just look out for it, especially if you're rapping a song that you've heard before, right? Like know where the traps are. So the whole slipping up stuff, I just don't buy that. I know people do that for the public apology. Hey, I did my part. And he may be contrite, but how contrite are you when you step in it knowing that you took that step in it? Uh, I'm not on that side with him. Okay, so then two days later, on May 3rd, Portnoy tweeted a video. He called it an emergency press conference. And Ben Mintz has left the building announcing the firing. Okay, this video is like five and a half minutes and I thought I was going to be able to cut it up and edit it and say, oh, okay, let's just get these parts in these excerpts. Nah, y'all got to hear this whole video. Check it out. Okay, emergency press conference time. Uh, bad news. This sucks. So today we had to fire Ben Mintz, the artist formerly known as Ben Mintz. It stems from his wake up with Mincy, ironically, 
finally got it to do him live, and he was rapping uh, lyrics to a rap song, reading the words off his phone. And he said, and he rapped a racial slur. He turned white as a ghost. You could tell instantly. He's like, oh my god, what I do? It's like a Ron Burgundy moment. He read it. He knew he fucked up. He's been super apologetic, like in shambles, basically. And any, I think anybody who watched the clip was like, there's no way he meant to do that. He's just not the brightest bulb to ever come down the pipe. And he just screwed up, and he knew he screwed up. And there was no hatred behind it, no nothing. Still awful, but not my wildest dreams that I think I'd be sitting here being like, we had to fire Ben Mintz. Uh, Penn felt differently. Penn felt differently, and... I'm stunned by it, and I've been fighting tooth and nail, as has Erica, as has Dan, to keep Ben and say this is the wrong decision. But Penn operates in a world that we don't operate in. It. They are highly regulated by the government. They're issued licenses for gambling that just as easily as they're issued, they can be pulled back. And for anybody who has followed any of the states and Penn trying to get legalized and things like that, one thing's clear. A lot of people hate my guts. They fucking hate me. They hate Barstool. And they look for any lever, any excuse, anything to cause problems for us and pull the licenses. Um, Penn is convinced, and they've been very clear, Penn, since they took over. It's a zero-tolerance policy moving forward. You can't do stuff like this. And really, we haven't had an incident like this since they've taken over. And they believe there's a legitimate chance lots of the states would pull their licenses because of this. Um, Penn's a billion-dollar company, multi-billion-dollar company. Without their licenses, they are a zero-dollar company. Investors, families, employees, thousands of people. They feel it's their job to protect all of this. And the only answer is to fire Ben Mintz. I still disagree with it. And maybe I'm naive. I'm like, there is just no way anybody can look at that clip and think the punishment fits the crime. It makes my skin crawl thinking a guy would lose their job on an innocent mistake. Yes, horrible, but clearly no intent. Clearly he's in shambles about it, instantly in shambles. It just makes my skin, it's everything I've stood against for 20 years. And I told Penn, and I told Jago, you risk alienating, you're fighting to save, you know, the Barstool brand to use. There may be nothing left to protect if you go through this. But again, Penn's a multi-billion dollar company. We're a small part of it. And they think the whole thing was at risk. Bottom line is this. I hate the decision. I don't agree with the decision. But it's not my decision to make. And when we sold Penn, I mean Barstool to Penn, we knew what came with it. We knew the guard, guard lines. We knew you couldn't do what Ben Mintz did. We knew it was a regulated industry. And we knew if somebody went beyond the guardrails after they purchased us, these decisions on how to deal with it would be pen decisions. And it's not just Jay. And by the way, I love Jay. I trust Jay. I think Jay and I think about the world very similarly. A lot of the same views on the world. 
So I don't think he's doing it as spite or because he has some perverted or, or any. I think he's doing what he has to do, and the board is doing what they have to do to protect Penn Entertainment. I still fucking disagree with it, but that's their decisions to make. It's their world, the regulators dealing with the states, not my world. My world's gambling. I told them, I go, if there's me and state wanted to pull the license because of this, I'd put in a blast a hundredfold. And I'd be like, this is what we're dealing with. And our crowd would rally and we'd become stronger. He said, you know what that'll do? They'll just pull the, pull the license everywhere, potentially. I hate the decision. I hate, hate, hate. Tried to convince it to be otherwise as much as I could. In the end, they know the risks and the downsides. And they still felt they had to make this decision, which is a bad decision for everybody involved, but from Penn's perspective, better than risking the entire livelihood of the company um, on a fuck up from Ben Mintz. It sucks. It makes no sense to me, but the world in a lot of respects and how crazy certain factions are. And you, if you don't think Emily Steele is already frothing at the mouth to write about this and send it to the regulators and be like, what are you going to do about it? You're not paying attention. So it is what it is. And uh, hopefully I never have to make a press conference like this ever again. And it really, really, really sucks. All right, that's all I got. Okay. So that video, Portnoy said Mintz was highly apologetic. We caught it. He said Penn's a multi-billion dollar company and he doesn't have the final say in this. He said he hated the decision. He fought hard to keep Mincy, et cetera, et cetera. He talked about how he sold his company February 2023 for a combined total of $551 million. So Penn has full control of Barstool. All right. But that ain't where it's going to end. That's where we start, right? Because then the community jumps in and everybody's like, yo, all of the stoolies are not happy, right? They call him Portnoy a sellout. Mm. Okay. All right. <laughs> White dudes are sellouts now. Let's listen to this. They call him a sellout for selling the company. That's right. And the stock price of Penn Entertainment plunged. All right, went from $30 a share to $26 a share. So, yo, things are not looking pretty. So now, all of a sudden, it's starting to come to Dave in different ways. Because he thought that, okay, I'm going to address this. Mincy's going to address this. And this probably blow over, right? And then, even though you don't have full say and ownership of it anymore, you still got heavy sway and pull. So he tried to go to Penn Entertainment behind the scenes, try to work it out. Not working out. Now, it's not working out behind the scenes. Pressure's on to get rid of Mincy, right? And then on top of that, all of his support is starting to be split. It's starting to be splintered between those who are like, yeah, we get it. It's big business. And those are like, dog, you a sellout for selling your business and forgetting your audience, forgetting why you are Barstool Sports. So all of that starting to get to Dave. And Dave had to go out there with this animated post of a video on Twitter in response. Check that out. So I got every Tom, Dick, and Harry since this Mincy thing. Be like, Prez, you're sellout. You're sellout. Hey, Prez, you sold out. Well, as the kids say, no doy. No fucking doy I sold out. You're just figuring that out? I started a company, and I fucking sold it the fuck out. Made hundreds of millions, made millions for everybody grinded in Milton. 
Yeah, we sold the fuck out. And that's what you do when you're an entrepreneur. You start this little company you dream one day, you sell the fuck out. So no toy. Still means this decision sucks. I hate it. Makes me want to puke. But guess what? When I sold out, a couple words, a couple things, it's very clear. You say these things, those decisions are no longer mine. I can't protect you. You know why? Because I sold out. No fucking toy. All right. So the message is to everybody calling me a sellout. What did I tell y'all the two rules of social media are? <laughs> the first rule is to never respond to a negative comment. Tell you every single time. And I don't. <laughs> I have before and that's why I have it as a rule now. I don't. If you say something negative about me, bro, I read it. But I ain't gonna give it more energy, okay? I'll take it to heart. I'll take your criticism, all of that. But you're not gonna get me in a tug of war and the rope is poison. I am not going there. I don't need the negativity. And the second one is never clarify yourself. Never. Because that's just grabbing the invisible rope that actually has poison on it. And you thought that was a positive. Oh, no, let me just go out there and make sure everyone knows where I'm really coming from. And then now, whoo! That rope comes to life and now you're grabbing the negativity again and you're trapped getting hung by that negativity. The things that stood out from that video that was kind of like alarming is the whole no doy stuff, like no doy. Like now he's trying to give in to it and said, what, y'all didn't know that this is what a company does and this is what we do, we cave into the capitalism, but people are not questioning capitalism and it's kind of weak for him to fall back on that in this video in this moment. We ain't questioning capitalism. We're questioning your character. Don't try and hide from that. So that was interesting. It's what you do when you're an entrepreneur. Not all entrepreneurs, not all. All right, so then someone tweets out a video of Dave doing the Mincy, which was crazy enough because obviously Dave has a different level of significance in Barstool owner than Dave, than Ben Mincy. But at the same time, check this video out video out of him. This is like a smoking gun video of him doing the same damn thing. To all my niggas that been living it up, watch you do. To all my niggas that been living it up, watch you. Okay, so he was singing song lyrics, N-word in it. Uh, didn't seem like he looked too uncomfortable to me. Didn't seem like he had any issues with it. Okay. Here's my takeaway, because I had to get all the beats out, especially when it's sensitive topics, topics that we know a lot of people are going to be paying attention to. I like to always get that foundation out there first. All right. The first thing is he's forgotten his audience and he has not forgotten them in terms of still thinking about his audience, because that's why Dave's like, yo, Barstool actually firing Mincy is going to be looked out as a sellout move, which is going to make our audience lash out. But he forgot about his audience when he sold the company, when he gave up all his rights, and he also knew that he was going to be part of a regulated industry, right? So it's okay to get your money, boo-boo, but the thing is, when you get your money, know what you purchased and know what they just bought, right? And when they bought it, when they bought your authenticity, when they bought your strength, they bought your power, you can't cry about it now. You can't play both sides of that situation. Every contract is more than just dollars, more than just words on a piece of paper. You know the spirit of it as well. You know those executives. And even if their heart's in the right place, you know the actions they have to take. 
He also let people kind of know how the sausage is made in the terms of when you talk about having a company that is acquired, what does it really look like? And people don't want to know how the sausage is made. People don't really want to see that barstool sports authentic, right? Middle finger to the, to the establishment, power to the people has now turned into power to the conglomerates, right? Power to mass media, because that's what it is. What are there? Six major entities of media in this world and the rest are just subsidiaries of it. And then if you know what that means in real terms, in layman's terms, that means there are very few people controlling the messaging that's getting to the masses. Very few. And their sensibilities tend to be the same, right? Very liberal or very empathetic, even if they're crossed with something that is different, right? So they can say, we care about everybody. That's what they say, even though it's capitalism really driving that force and they really are trying to take advantage of situations to get money. That's what capitalism is. Somebody has to win in these conversations. Someone has to win in these endeavors. All right. So I thought it was kind of weak to fall back on the capitalism and that's what entrepreneurs do. Not all, because I know a lot of people that have sold companies that have exited and some of them stay with the company and work in the company. Some of them stay on the board. Some of them stay in power. You can play it any way. It's just going to come at a cost, an opportunity cost and an acquisition cost. So not a fan of that. They built their brand off of defiance and authenticity. And then they sold their brand just saying, hey, we understand you're going to regulate all of that. And me in that position, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying own that position. I would have sold my company. I don't know what he had in projections and what he wanted to do ultimately, but for 551 million, yeah, you can have Never Shut Up, right? And if you take Never Shut Up, guess what you're not buying? Marcellus Wiley, you're buying Never Shut Up. You bought Barstool Sports, but you're not gonna buy my authenticity if I'm Dave. But that's a tough situation to play both sides. So it's interesting that we're in a world where he's like, look, I disagree with this decision. I don't think Mincy did the worst thing or he's remorseful, he did bad, but at the same time, he's contrite, let's move on from it. We're in a different world and Dave knows it. We're in a world where Kyrie Irving doesn't use a racial slur, just reposts an image from a movie on Amazon and is called anti-Semitic and loses his Nike deal plus, right? So by those standards, Dave knows that he's fighting an uphill battle that sooner or later he's going to lose and it's going to be more of a loss than just Mincy. It's going to be more losses if he continues this fight. You know what would have protected him in this moment? It's an interesting play. Diversity on this executive level for Barstool or for Penn Entertainment, the diversity would have kind of protected them. But let's just be real about Barstool. There was always that conversation that that company was racial, right? Racy. Like, ah, people always question, were they really leaning into independence and freedom or was there something else in terms of their attributes? That was always a conversation, right? But now you can't have that and have this. The perception cannot now turn to reality because we got a video of one of the guys using the N-word and you're going to keep them employed? Hold on. He uses the N-word and he still works for Barstool that has this rumored reputation of being racy. Yeah, Penn Entertainment saw through that one and said, look, 
We can't have perception become reality. We can't have rumor become real, right? So in this situation, obviously the sacrificial lamb is going to be mincy. And using that slur, it should be. Let's just be real. But the stir of this is not the fact that he used the N-word and he was fired. The stir is how they tried to clamor around him, or at least Dave did, tried to keep him employed through the slip-up. Through the slip-up. I don't know if it's a slip-up. Now, he could have used the N-word because he's like, yo, black people use it. And this is where Missy gets caught. He's like, yo, I'm literally quoting somebody who uses that word. And good luck buying that one and good luck selling that one if you're out there in this world. So the only other thing about this issue that I thought was interesting was this is why, in part, I don't use the N-word. It's just too, it's too impossible. Not even too difficult, too impossible to explain the usage of the word in media in this world right now, right? It's a hypocritical word in the sense of black people can use it, right? The insulted, because the word was initially in America used to insult black people. The insulted can use it, but not the one who's the insulter, right? All right, so we're saying that punks, actual punks can use the word punk. <laughs> Right? Like fools are the only ones who should say fools, right? Because it's the one who the insultee is the only one who has the power to use that word. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me in the culture. And what's worse is you see non black people using it. You see it, the word used everywhere. You see Mincy using it and the comfort level continues to grow outside of the protected borders of those who should use the word. I am having all this conversation so we can have this conversation and discuss it because it seems like with the hypocrisy, the contradiction, the pandering, the fact that, oh, I sold my company in, which you sold your audience out to as well, is now all coming to a head. There's no right answers in this situation, but whatever your answer is, stick to it, stick to your guns and own that response. All right, y'all, y'all know how we finish every show with a Wiley-ism. Uh, there are no traffic jams along the extra mile. Say that again, damn it. If you go 110% or you do extra work after practice, chances are you're going to be by yourself. <laughs> chances are it's going to be a few Lone Rangers there, but there's no traffic jam in doing more than is expected, more than it is asked for you, right? That's how the game goes. It's crazy because I tell my son all the time, he like does his practice. He practices hard and he's like, all right, I'm good. And I'm like, yeah, you're going to be good. But if you want to be great, <laughs> going to do the extra mile. Right. And the extra mile is not a mile a day. It's just this much more than what you were asked to do. It just builds up a psyche, a work habit. And it also separates you. Right. Because now a little, a little, a little, it's like compound interest. It just compounds to making you go from good to great. So always remember that in all your endeavors, there are no traffic jams along the extra mile. All right, y'all, that's going to do it for more to it. Check the show notes for all the information on our topics today. Today! Y'all want to keep the conversation going? Let's talk. Find me on all socials at Marcel Swiley. More to it is a production. Dan Patrick Productions, That Dude Entertainment, and Workhouse Media. Show is executive produced by Dan Patrick, Marcel Swiley, Paul Anderson, and Nick Pinella. Marcel Swiley, that dude. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thanks for all the love, subscriptions, five-star ratings, reviews, membership program, MarcelSwally.com, ProjectTransition.org. You guys are all in with me. 
dead dudes dudes and dead dudes divas i am working this because it's funny we got that new show coming where y'all gonna be on the show it's y'all show members show so what y'all want to do let's do it let's keep it going let's keep it coming there's more coming from more to it talk to y'all hella soon If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.